I'm right and you're wrong. Once you start labeling people, categorizing of humans and ideas, you have desensitized yourself to the humanity of that other human being, to who they really are. And in the marketplace of ideas, these things are complicated, man. We all need to engage with a variety of viewpoints. A genuine multicultural connection with another. I mean, sometimes you don't need to agree or disagree. You just need to sit with it and digest. Welcome back, everybody, to Ideas Digest, the podcast where we break down the ideas that divide us in order to find the humanity that connects us. My name's Conrad, and if you're new to the show, if you're a new friend of the show, welcome. It's great to have you here. Uh, But now that we're friends, you know, we've just met, we're we're friends now, I need to warn you, uh, this podcast may not be for you. My goal is to encounter a variety of worldviews and perspectives not to debate them, not to label them right or wrong, not the point here, but to understand the person, the worldview, and to just sit with the idea a little bit. So listening to ideas we disagree with, I mean, is pretty uncomfortable. It's actually very uncomfortable. Uh, some people say they don't enjoy listening to my podcast and they go, well, good, that's, you, you probably shouldn't if you are enjoying it too much. Maybe listen to the episodes you'll disagree with. Um, But I believe if you stick with it, you'll learn to love it, just like eating your vegetables. If you stick with it, you'll learn to love it. Uh, Brought to you by Broccoli, the sponsor of the show. So (laughs) thanks. Uh, So I guess with the warning out of the way, we've got that out of the way. If you're just jumping in, I've kind of given you the rundown there. Uh, So now it's time to introduce new friend of the show, new friend of the show, Nicole Mitchell. Thanks for joining me on Ideas Digest. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to have a deep conversation with you and with everyone who is watching and listening. So it's it's great to have you on the show. Now, we've just met. We've set up a bit of tech. That's about it. If we were to just meet, so you're somewhere in America. I'm going to guess West Coast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, West Coast. So let's say you and I run into each other. This is my typical Amer- American meeting place because I love it so much. Chipotle. I love Chipotle. <laughs> We meet in Chipotle. Nicole, ah, oh, it's nice to meet you. Ah, oh, who, who are you and what do you do? What's this surface level, the beginning there? I am a life coach and model is how I would broach that question with a stranger oh. in the world. Oh, very nice. Well, well, it's, it's, it's really nice to meet you. Um, I'll just uh, introduce the clickbait for you, for, for the listeners there. And uh, the clickbait, just because it's all about clickbait in the 21st century, it reduces something to a clickable image. If you're not dissatisfied by the clickbait, I haven't done my job properly. My goal is to have you click on it and go, oh, what the hell? It was nothing about that. Um, but that's jokes on you for clicking clickbait. Um, here is the clickbait. Bisexual pastor turned stripper has never been happier. Now, I've got to confess. I've got a confession at the top, Nicole. Um, this was ripped from news.com.au. I stole their clickbait because they stole one of my interviews and didn't credit me. <laughs> they got up. That's it was up so on bad. Daily Mail. It was up on news.com.au. And this bloody crap. I'm sorry, I'm getting too emotional about this. But this news organization stole my stuff. No credit. What is this world? It's a wild west of st- theft. Um, so I stole their clickbait. So sucked in. Um, anyway, tangent. <laughs> You're all Australian. I'm sure it's all fair. It's that's, fair. Right. that's right. Yeah. We'll call it evennews.com.au yeah. if, you, if, if you're tuning in, which I know you probably are. Um, anyway, sorry, Nicole. I've, I, I digress. <laughs> sorry, listeners. Thanks for sticking through that rant there. Um, but we've got the clickbait. I've just got a very surface level 
introduction. So you're a life coach slash model. Oh, interesting. Nicole, I'm going to be honest with you now. I've just, I've just judged you. I've just met you and I'm just, I'm looking at you and I've heard what you do and I've made some judgments, but rather than just holding my judgments to myself, I'm going to confess them to you and you can correct them. Correct me where I'm wrong. How does that sound? Sounds good. Let's do it. Let's okay. go. All right. So and we've got the clickbait. We've just met on oh, model. Okay. Um, so here are just some stereotypes I'm, I'm kind of piling through here. So maybe listeners of the show might be thinking, oh, model. Nicole, models, ugh, did you go to university? You've got to gotta be uneducated if, you, if you're modeling. Maybe that's a stereotype. Yes, it is. You know what? I have found models to be some of the most brilliant humans I have ever met. We all tend to either have college degrees, masters, and even some of them have doctorate. So it's a huge stereotype and misperception of models being uneducated. Mm. And you yourself? Yes, I have a master's degree. I just graduated um, from graduate school in 2019. So you do not fit that stereotype, master's degree. No. As a fellow master's degree holder, I tip my I tip my hat to you. Thank um, you, too, too. It's a worthless master's, but I've got one. Um, <laughs> Same. Okay. When I went to graduate school, I said, I refuse to go into debt for a degree that will make me no money. So I got a full scholarship. Yep. And I'm glad I got the degree. Doesn't make me any money, but I'm glad uh, I went to uh, graduate school. Welcome to the club. We believe in you for now. <laughs> Although my debt, my debt's probably better than most debt because it's Australian government debt, the best kind of debt. They can deal with that later. Um, Sorry, American listeners of the show there. You're probably thinking, oh man, what the hell? Bloody socialist country. Maybe. maybe. We need to learn from you guys. Mm -hmm. Okay. um, So past the turn stripper. Okay. Maybe people just be thinking, Nicole, some kind like stripper, sex addict. Ooh, yes. I love this. Let's talk about sex. Um, No, same thing again. Women in my industry tend to be the most sexually empowered individuals who have really clear understanding of their boundaries. Consent is really important. Communication is really important. They tend to be the most articulate, the best communicators, and the most well-boundaried people. Hmm. You can learn a lot Uh, from us. we We will lock in a solid no on that box there. Um, okay. Looking at Instagram, Nicole, it's just good marketing. You're just doing this for attention. Mm, yes. I'm an attention seeking, desperate, mm. lonely, rebellious woman. I love it. Um, Is, oh, that's one you get. That's a quite a long one that you, you seem to be getting. <laughs> I'll just throw all the assumptions and labels in there. Yeah. If you spend five minutes in my energy, whether it's in person or like it live like this, or even five minutes reading my social media, it'll debunk itself. You can feel the energetic difference between someone who is attention seeking and desperate Versus someone who's grounded and founded and knows who they are and what they want. I'm in that second category. <clears throat> okay. That's a solid no again. Damn, I'm missing. I'm missing them all. Love it. I should Love have gone with just on. some American ones, just some generic American ones, but I can't think of you any of them. You can throw those moment. at me too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Strippers. Now this is the stereotype here. Daddy issues. Mm, yes. I love this one too. Um, again, Because of the work that we do, because we're such good communicators and we're really well-boundaried and very articulate and um, brilliant individuals and humans, 
we tend to have the healthiest relationships in our lives too, with our parents, mm -hmm. siblings, friends, and strangers. I mean, the fact that we can navigate even haters on the internet and mm -hmm. come out and, mm -hmm. and be grounded and be kind and compassionate says something about our character. So mm -hmm. I, again, I think we're the people you can learn from on how to navigate all kinds of relationships, um, mm -hmm. even the ones you have with your parents. Mm. Last one. You, and so pastor turned stripper, when you went from pastor to stripper, you must have just ditched all your values. You have no values now. Yeah. Um, you know, what's so funny is I feel I'm the most clear on and committed to my values than ever before. When I was a pastor, I was a little bit more wishy-washy. I was easily more kind of tossed by people's opinions, people's feedback, people's criticism. I didn't know how to stand on my solid two feet. Now, because of what I do, I am so grounded. I do not do anything that is not aligned with my values. Those are the one thing that inform all decisions that I make. I say a lot of no's in order to say a lot of fuck yeses, a lot of good yeses in my life. Mm -hmm. When you when you spoke about haters on the internet, what like talk to me about some of the assumptions that you would face and you even mentioned like in your line of work, you get a lot of haters. What are those assumptions? I guess, that you end up facing? Yes. That's a great question. There's a lot of assumptions about me as a mother. Um, apparently, you cannot be a sexual being and a mother, which is hilarious because it's because mm. we were a sexual being that we became a mother. <laughs> um, or we can't be a good wife, girlfriend, or partner, especially a wife. There's a lot of judgment and stereotypes towards women who are married and women who are mothers and about what we can and cannot do with our livelihood, with our bodies, with our passion. And what I do directly flies in the face of a lot of assumptions and stereotypes here in the U.S. And so people get really heated. Like, what kind of mother are you? You were greedy and um, selfish and you ruined your family over this. There's a lot of assumptions about even like why I got divorced. No one really knows why, but they think they know why. And then they make all kinds of accusations about it. Um, mm -hmm. And I let most of them go because they've never met me. They've never spent one minute on me. They've probably done very little research on me. Um, but those will come up now then in my comment mm -hmm. sections. Mm. Talk to me, I guess the, the, the interesting idea that we're talking about is as you go pastor turned stripper. Now I want to, I kind of want to let you go where you kind of want to go as far as the ideas that lead from one, one idea shifting into another, where you end up being a pastor in a church to end up doing what some would believe to be the exact opposite. You know, like the, the churches preach about a certain type of sexual expression, which is generally don't do it. <laughs> and then you've kind of moved into uh, where it's like, no, like it, it seems, seems as if like a boundaryless, like do anything kind of mm -hmm. sex sells stripper area. Now, mm -hmm. where would you start? I guess, are we, are we looking at a journey from one point to another? Is there an idea that kind of shifted or changed as far as this, or is this just a starting point for something else? Yeah, it's very easy for my story when you hear pastor turned stripper that it sounds like an overnight decision, but it's a summary of a several year journey. And the tipping point for all of it happened in 2016 when I realized I was queer. And at that point, I had been married for seven years to a straight man, had always been, had always identified as straight. I had three children with this man. 
And when I realized I was queer, it rocked my world because I, I thought, how can I be in my 30s? I'm in my fourth decade of life and have no idea of my own sexuality. What else do I think I know that I don't really know about myself? And so mm. it like brought me into this territory of like reevaluating, questioning, deconstructing, peeling back the layers and beliefs that have been put on me my whole life and coming back to, is this ultimately true for me, for who I am, for where I want to be in life? And that led to me eventually like doing this work in 2019. So that alone was a three-year journey. And I feel the most boundaried. I feel the most grounded. People say sex sells. I actually think it's confidence that sells. I think it's values that sell. I think it's storytelling that sells. Um, I can't tell you how many fans or clientele who tell me if you never posted a nude or sexy photo again, I would still follow you because of who you are. You know who you are. You know what you want. You are unstoppable. And there's this like energetic force people feel into, that has to be reckoned with. It changes your lives when you spend time with me. If you read my content, if you look at my sexy content that I create, it's a whole experience that is so much deeper than just do whatever you want because you have no boundaries. Hmm. Talk to me about the... Because there's a few different elements there. Because you say when you you discovered you were bisexual, and then there's the element of going from one worldview to another. So you've got. What do you mean when you're talking about you discovered you were bisexual? I guess you know. Generally, I've spoken to some people in the LGBTQ community that go, "Well, there's something from like a young age that I was," and 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 they describe that journey. But talk to me about your, I guess just like journey or discovery or realization with your sexuality? It was a slow realization. It was over many, many years. Um, and when I did realize it, it, my entire life made sense because I've had memories since I was a little girl being drawn to girls and not understanding, had no vocabulary and didn't have anywhere to discuss it. That was not acceptable in the place I grew up. Um, and I didn't know what to do with this. So once I realized this in 2016, it was like, oh my gosh, that was like a thing. I wasn't crazy. It wasn't random. That's just part of who I am. And it started with me, uh, wanting to learn the other side, my entire life, uh, the gays, the LGBTQ community had always been condemned. Always. Mm -hmm. I was told a million reasons why they were wrong, biblically, psychologically, physiologically, blah, blah, blah. And in, it was like in 2013, I think, that I was like, you know, I want to learn from the other side. I want to hear their perspective, why they think it's okay, why it's biblical okay, why it's normal, it's natural. And the more I studied their side of things and read their books and I took a queer theology course, it just confirmed my deep inner knowing, which is it's totally cool and awesome to be LGBTQ and there's nothing wrong with it. So then I became an ally and an advocate and I started going to more queer events and going to marches and protests and being more educated mm -hmm. to like be the best ally I could be. And the more time I spent with queer people and at queer spaces, you know, like this part of me came alive. And at first I'm like, oh, I just love people. I'm just really friendly and just mm -hmm. attracted all kinds of humans because I'm a lover. And then it like, it just hit me one night. I'm like, oh, this isn't just, I'm a nice person. I like people. This is I am deeply magnetically attracted to queer people, um, including women. And it's not temporary. It's not random. It's not incidental. It's part of who I am. And it was felt two emotions. It felt like a relief to finally be able to articulate and name something I had always felt. 
And I was terrified because now I had the risk of losing my friends, losing my family, losing my job at my church. And for a brief moment, I thought, take it to the grave, Nicole. You look straight. You sound straight. You pass a straight. You do not need to rock this boat. Take it to the grave. Hmm. And as you all know, I did not end up doing that. Hmm. Did Is that journey you're describing of self-discovery, it, it sounds like you were learning things about yourself and then you went to your worldview or frame of reference, your religion, and said, like, can I be this? Is this okay? And then finding other people people within your tradition that people might say, oh, they're on the boundary or they're not the true thing, but you're still saying, no, no, these, these are people. It's almost like you were looking for permission within your tradition to say who you are is okay. And then you found that with certain theologians or interpretations of scripture. Does, so does that then lead you into remaining within that worldview and shifting the worldview or largely have you gone, uh, like, have you even moved further from there, this point of going, oh, I can still be a Christian and be like this? Or have you, I guess, shifted even further from where you're talking about? Yeah, that's a great question. I think in any time we're in a situation like this where we encounter someone who lives very differently from us, who holds very di- different beliefs, different expressions, different identities, I always recommend leaning in, which is like the very purpose of your podcast, right? It's lean in, be curious. If you're welcome to ask questions, not to ask questions to put your judgments in a question form. I get that. That's lame and don't do that. You ask questions to genuinely care about their side of the story. And if they so choose to share that with you, you're a lucky person because no one owes you anything. Um, but leaning in and being curious. And that's what brought me is like, I want to lean in and hear from the other side. And what I found as I shifted into this belief that, you know, I am queer, being queer is okay, normal, natural, always has been, always will be. I actually felt like I returned to little Nicole who always knew that to be true. Because even though I grew up in churches that condemned homosexuality or being LGBTQ, something in me never resonated with that. Something with me never agreed to that. And including my lived experience in high school, my queer friends were the most loving, the most creative, the most empathetic humans I'd ever encountered. And I thought that can't be wrong. Right. And so when I finally like did the research and studies and reading and educated and lots of conversation, it brought me just back to what little Nicole had always known to be true. And so while on the outside, it looks like, oh, she's made this huge drastic change and she's abandoned everything she's known. I actually feel like I've come home to what I've always known. And it took, it was actually a lifetime of people putting their beliefs and opinions and identities on me. And it took me that long to peel it all off to come back home to who I've always been. And where does Christianity fit within that now as you've reshuffled the pieces to sounds like make room for yourself within a tradition you know some people i talk to just go i don't i don't need this um patriarchal system and sexual judgment and all these i just don't need it is is that what i'm hearing from you or am i hearing a reshuffling of the pieces going religion actually and christianity still forms my worldview and and how i see things Mm -hmm. As much as I would like to leave and abandon Christianity completely, when you're raising it, there's no escaping it. So even though I don't identify as Christian anymore, 
um, it still influences and shapes so much of how I view the world and who I view myself as. And I have to continually deconstruct and just reevaluate and reflect on, is this decision or desire genuinely mine? Or was this something put on me by religion or society or family or whatever? Um, but I tried when I first my whole worldview kind of blew up when I realized my queerness, I tried so hard to hold on to my faith. It's the only thing I'd ever known. I had no plan on abandoning it or no longer identifying as Christian. My entire world had been being a Christian, evangelizing, um, drinking and breathing that water and air. And so when I left evangelicalism or mainstream Christianity, I started going to like smaller churches and smaller Christian, smaller fringe denominations like the UCC um, and Unitarian Universalist, like extremes, like just trying to find like what thread or strand of Christianity feels right to me and spent a couple of years doing that. And in the end, I felt like either way, anywhere I went, I felt like I was putting myself in a box that someone else had predefined for me. And my job was to get on board with it, to like be part of that community. And I realized I'm too fluid, too open to always evolving to say, yes, this is the mode that will always fit me. And so I consciously, um, and a little bit painfully, it was sad to leave my faith, um, walked away from it and said, this doesn't fit me. I don't fit it. I think actually Christianity has done a lot of harm. And as someone who's very loving and who has a very good intention of bringing people together and like letting love heal and unite us, um, a lot, the kind of Christianity I was raised in does not stand for that. They say they would, their actions are a different story. And so I felt the most loving thing I could do for me, for my Christian faith was to leave it. And that's Mm. where I am today. And when you say leave it, there's the leave the formalized tradition of Christianity, like the church, the liturgy. And then there's, I guess, leaving the idea or universe or the, or the worldview that comes with it being like, okay, there is something greater than me. There's something that can be in, in relationship to, or with in a, in a way, is that leaving, is that both senses or one more than the other? Yeah, I, I've definitely left the formality of it. Like I don't go to church. I don't do the prayers. I don't do any of that stuff anymore. I don't really celebrate the holidays. I mean, it's more just like tradition now in the U.S., but I don't yeah. do it for like the spiritual reasons. Um, but I do still believe in a higher power, whether that higher power is God, it's angel dust, or it's me. I don't know. And I don't really care what it is. I just know there's, to me, there's something there that I tap into it and I vibe with it. And I feel like I'm a... Um, the most healing thing I've done, what which is considered radical and heretical in the Christian church, is I've eliminated the middleman. I don't need church. I don't need a pastor. I don't need scripture. And I don't even need Jesus to have access to God and hmm. to becoming who I'm meant to be and to help make the world a better place. And by hmm. eliminating that middleman and having that and coming home to the truth that I have direct access to God has empowered me to live life on my terms and to trust myself and to stop seeking everyone else's opinion and advice on my life mm. when no one has lived a single day of my life. I'm the only one, right? And as Glennon Doyle says, she says, we've got to stop asking people for directions to places they've never been. We are all pioneers in our own life. And I think the most loving thing we can do is release each other to our own journeys, our own evolutions, without expecting anyone else to adhere 
to our own version of beliefs. Was it letting go as I map these different journeys that you've, that you've been on the journey of sexuality and the journey of worldview and religion, and then the journey of career path and where you go were there was was there a set of boundaries that ultimately when you left the formalized structure what opened up to you when you started like was it this sense of oh i can do this now or i can do anything now was it because you left that structure yeah definitely leaving all that gave me the opportunity to reflect on what is true what is okay what's not okay and it was a very um, timid process. It can look like I just like jumped off the Christian ship and dove right into this like sexually free and empowered waters. And I was a lot more timid than that because I'm, I'm coming up against a lifetime of very particular, very dogmatic beliefs about bodies, about sexuality, about pleasure, about wealth, about success, fame, all the things I want. And so I did a lot of deep inner work. I pulled away from a lot of my people and a lot of my circles and just went in and journaled and read and had a life coach and cried and prayed my way to the other side. And and if you look at my Instagram, if you're on my OnlyFans account, you see the evolution. You see me go from the good girl, mommy, wife, pastoral pastoral role to like becoming a little more expressed, a little more confident, a little more sexy, a little more bold with what I want to say, what I want to wear, what I want to do to now like, boom, right? Like the world knows what I do. It's very out there. Um, I do what I want. I wear what I want. I say what I want. I'm very confident in who I am and what I want. And I let myself have it. Um, But it was a very slow, steady, intentional journey to get here. When, when you talk about sexual freedom, what is it, I guess that stopped that before. And what are you talking about now? (laughs) I'm like so excited about this. Okay. 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 Let's talk about this. Okay. I just think at least for the way I was raised and people raised similar to me, we have missed out on so much. There's so much miseducation misunderstandings when it comes to sexuality, pleasure, sex, bodies, so much shame. And I remember when I was married, I was, I had so much body shame and sex shame during my twenties, which when when you're at your prime and you're confident and slim and sexy, I had, I was the most timid and ashamed of my body and it impacted my sex life. It impacted the way I felt in the world, the way when men would look at me, I would get angry or feel like gross or icky. And I'd like pull in and cover up more and just my entire sense of self to shrink, shrink, shrink over the years. And then once I learned that sexuality is good, pleasure is good, bodies are good, consensual activities between adults is good. It just like put the softness in me and I was open and receptive and soft. And I would, I could receive pleasure. I could give pleasure. I could wear what I want and not be thrown off when someone whistles at me. It changed the way I even viewed that. I used to view that as like, ew, you're not an evolved man, gross. And now like I, I hear someone whistle or compliment or hey, sexy. And of course, like there's, I think the we can do a better job at making women feel safe in the world, but I see their heart. 
I don't think they're horrible humans. I think we have so much shame and stigma around our desire that I, instead I, when someone like communicates their desire to me, for me, I take it as a compliment and I move on with my day. I don't make it mean anything about them. I don't make it mean anything about me. I'm just so free from all of, all of that to where I'm at the point now, it blows my mind that anyone would care what a woman does with her body. I'm a grown ass woman living my life in Southern California. And a lot of people have opinions on what I should be doing with my body, my sexuality and my sex life. And I'm just like, Mm. if that, if you are that interested and involved in all of that, a, you have a lot of healing to do and B it gives me a glimpse of probably what your sex life and your own, um, perspective and perception of yourself and your sexuality is. And there's a lot of healing there to be done. Yeah. I'm hearing, and this is probably something that everybody could resonate with on any level. You have this standards that society will put on you and say, here's what you need to be as a woman and who, how you should behave. But then you've got that extra layer of religion, particularly when you're talking about sexuality, religion across the board has a purity culture and it has a set of sexual ethics standard. And within that, what women should be and people will critique it for saying, well, that comes from a patriarchal worldview. And even if you leave that religious structure behind, you're still talking about there's standards you encounter from other people, from society, like not religion at all. And I'm hearing you talk about saying or expressing an idea that you're free and move past those expectations placed on you by both a religious institution and maybe a societal institution. Because I guess there would still be pushback. Talk to me about the pushback you would get from not a religious worldview, but a societal worldview about who you are and what you do, like OnlyFans, um, which for those people who listen to the show who may not maybe describe OnlyFans and then the pushback that you receive from society and not necessarily religion. Yeah, that's a great question. So OnlyFans is a website um, commonly known for its sexually explicit content, implicit, explicit, soft. Instagram art. with nudes. <laughs> yes, it's the next level Instagram. <laughs> Thank you, Instagram. Because Instagram won't let me post that stuff on Instagram, it's made me a lot of money. I would post that stuff for free on Instagram. I like love the content I create. I want the world to see it. But because Instagram and Facebook won't let me, it forced me to go to a platform where I get paid for it. And then it's a huge win. So thank you, Instagram. Um, it's a great platform. And as a side note, you can use it for anything. You There's coaches, mm-hmm. there's health experts. You can use it for whatever you want. So it's another social media platform. It just tends mm. to be known for its more sexual nature. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think the other pressure I feel apart from religion is being a mom. So mm. like I do shoots during the day or I'm like running back and forth from shoots or like I tend to dress a little more sexy because that's just who I am. And sometimes I'm like, uh, is this, am I going to get a comment from a mom or a school staff person because of how I'm dressed? And because it's very easy to see me and make the assumption of like, oh, she's one of those mothers. She's so shallow or vain or gross or inappropriate, improper. Again, you spend two minutes with me and you'll get a totally different vibe from me. But I'm very aware of how people perceive me. And like that. So that's one area of my life where I I do do a double take before I leave my house to get my kids from school. Or if I'm running errands, I like look down. I'm like, is this good? Oh, I would jack in the car and throw it over. And I don't necessarily like that. I act, it really bothers me. 
but I'm also understanding like not everyone is where I am. A lot of people have a lot of body shame and sex shame and just like very strong assumptions of what mothers should look like Mm. and should or shouldn't do for careers. Um, So that is an area where I am. I don't feel it from religion, but I still feel it from society, Mm. like what a mom is allowed to look like and do with her body and do for work. Because you feel it seems as if the inference is if you look how you look, then you can't be a good parent because yes. of maybe because you looking because sh- you look good and you put effort into your appearance. They might be thinking, well, clearly she's shallow and neglecting her child's needs. Is that the kind of stereotype you kind of you're talking about? So, yeah, it's like it's like we have this idea that the most loving definition of a mother is a martyr. Someone who gives up everything for her children, her careers, her ambitions, even her style, her sense of self, her sexuality, her feeling confident, her feeling sexy. Mm -hmm. That is the epitome of motherhood and religion and society. That is one of the reasons I moved to California is I wanted to be aware in a world, in a place where it was normal for mothers to look good. Women who do not lose themselves in motherhood, who do allow themselves to be sexy and successful. I just didn't know when I moved here to Orange County, that Orange County is like the most conservative section in Southern California. Here I thought I'm moving to the land of liberals. I'm like, finally, I'll be among my people. And I just like found myself like in a Midwest bubble in on the West Coast. Joke's on me. But I find more women here who allow themselves to care for their appearance and care for their bodies. And I love mm-hmm. that. But I just kind of take it to the next level. Because when these moms find me on social media, I'm not just a mother. I'm a model, right? I'm a stripper. I'm a whatever, I'm mm. whatever you want to call myself. I'm a sex worker. I've been, I've had all the labels thrown at me. Um, mm. And there's a lot of assumptions and judgment about me as a person because of what they see online. Mm. It, you're describing what can only really on some level be paralleled to a societal purity culture in a way saying, Society's moved far enough and said, ah, listen, like you can have sex outside of marriage. You can, you can date somebody and be a mom. You can, you know, you can do those kinds of things. But when you're talking about being a stripper or having an OnlyFans account and being a mother, that's where I think people, if you're listening, you might be thinking, oh, I'm feeling a bit uncomfortable about this. I don't know. You might not be able to put your finger on it and you might be thinking, oh, I'm something's up or something's amiss or it's I'm uncomfortable with that and it's it seems as if there is some level of perhaps a purity culture or a stereotype that is ingrained not on a religious level but on that societal level yes I'm very curious about your thought process and your guidance through what seems to be a minefield. I had a friend of the show, Kevin, uh, uh, who is a male OnlyFans model. And we kind of discussed down this angle of like, what's it? And, and so I was talking to him, a male, like, what's it like to be on OnlyFans? And he's like, oh, yeah, I love it. Like, I can do what I want. I'm like, And he feels empowered and he enjoys it. And one of my questions to him <clears throat> being like, is your experience different because you're a male? Because you're encountering... Yes, he's he's under no delusions that his content. I think he's straight, but his content is for 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 guys, and he's cool with that. And I was like, "Is your experience different because you're a male?" And so I guess my question for you is, talk to me about your experience with OnlyFans. Say more. What what specifically about my experience? Well, 
it seems to be, uh, and I'm, it's not necessarily the, the platform itself because it's being on the internet. It's putting something out there, putting, and especially in what you're doing, putting something very vulnerable, very provocative, very sexual out there. It, mm-hmm. it can cop. And I mean, I don't even, I don't, I don't put anything that provocative out there, but there's obviously a lot of hate on the internet and there's a lot of like mm-hmm. sexist comments and mm-hmm. being a woman, I think, do you yeah. feel like you, enc- am I stereotyping it to say you encounter this differently? Cause I'm a guy, I feel like I can walk anywhere I kind of want, at least where I live. And, and I've never felt unsafe. I'm, I'm going through the world in this in this position where I'm like, I don't know what it's like to be like, Oh man, is that guy following me? And I, and I guess is your experience being on the internet and being on OnlyFans been largely positive or have you encountered some difficult circumstances that you kind of have to navigate? Yeah. Great question. So before I even started my OnlyFans, I made a very conscious decision Mm -hmm. that this was going to be a positive experience. I'm only available for enlightened, evolved, educated humans to be my fans, to be in the space, to be part of this work that I do. And I have like thousands of fans, right? I've had over like, I think nearly 10,000 people subscribe to my uh, account over the year and a half that I've had it. And I can say 99.9% of them have been respectful, kind, communicative, caring. Like I have a very unique culture within my OnlyFans. So that's why I'm always like, even if you're not into the content I create, you just need to come and see my community. It is amazing like how open and soft and vulnerable everyone is because I'm open, soft and vulnerable. And I think I, I wish people would see it the way I see it. Like people are like, oh, it's so explicit. I actually find it very intimate. It's very intimate and like you said, vulnerable to make work or make content like this. Everyone thinks like, oh, it's easy to make money taking your clothes off. And I'm like, try, bitch. <laughs> try taking your clothes off in front of all your family and friends and employers and employees or coworkers to see and then come back and talk to me. Like, again, that's just such a quick assumption and judgment. Oh, that's easy for you. Mm-hmm. It's not easy for anyone, um, especially for someone like me who who does everything very consciously and from a very grounded place. I've had to do a lot of work, inner work to get here. And especially because of my upbringing and being a woman in society, um, I've had to go up against everything I've been taught about what it means to be a woman and a wife and a mother to get to the point where I am today. Even still, there are people who like judge, um, attack, leave hating comments. And Mm. it always hurts because I'm as much as I, do what I want. And I don't care what other people think. I'm still very soft and caring human. And so when you say something mean, of course it stings. Um, and I just remember it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with them. Someone typically has to be really hurting to leave really hateful comments. And Mm -hmm. I just send them love and compassion and keep doing what I'm here to do. Mm. The Christian worldview that you previously occupied and people might be listening to this from that worldview. There's the idea of sexuality and sex being like, I guess sacred. I think ultimately Mm. that's the attempt that's put across when, when we go towards purity culture, we say, we make rules around it. We say, you can't do this. You can't do that because this is, this is beyond words but we have to try and protect it and make it special and sacred and so you end up saying okay you can only do it within these parameters and you don't want to do these things and i i feel like what the big push against porn and nudity and explicit content is is that 
I think the push from that worldview is from that's commodification. When you make something a commodity for people to trade and buy and sell, then on some level, it loses that element of sacredness. I think that's the only word I can describe it with. I feel mm. like that's the, that's the element we're talking about. And I suppose, how do you navigate that line so between sacredness of human connection and commodification because on some level like there is a point where it's reduced simply to sell it becomes a tool with which we can exploit whoever we want to get what we want which is money Mm -hmm. talk to me about your journey navigating that this is so good oh we can talk about this all day okay I think sex is so sacred. I think our sexuality is so sacred. It's why I love doing what I do because I find the work they do incredibly sacred. I think for religion, especially, they've been afraid of sex because I think they're afraid of how powerful it is. And instead of leaning into that and trusting themselves with it, they fear it and put all these rules and parameters around it. And I've learned to not fear it. I've learned to welcome it, embody it, and channel it. And I create really beautiful things with it. Um... And so that's why I think they're afraid of it. I think it has more power than sometimes the church itself has. And they don't know. Power how? Um, I think I think it has the power to heal. I think they they assume the worst of it has the power to exploit, the plow, power to destroy. But I think that actually happens when we repress it and suppress it. When we can have a healthy understanding, love, and respect for our sexuality and sex, I actually think healing happens connection happens, transformation happens. And that even happens inside my container. When I create the content that I create, yeah, it's super hot and sexy, but people will tell me, oh my God, it's just amazing to see a confident, badass woman also be able to be soft and sexy, also be able to be like raw and hot. Like there's no part of you that you cut off from yourself. You're a whole being. They see that wholeness in me. They feel that wholeness in me. And it gives them permission to be whole themselves because a lot of us live fragmented lives. I can be like confident and professional and mm. successful in my work. And then I can only be sexy in the bedroom between hours 9 and 10 p.m. And then I have to be a parent between these hours and theirs. Mm. But what if you get to be all of you in all the spaces? And we don't have to be so fragmented or compartmentalized, mm. but we can be a very integrated and fluid and open person. Mm-hmm. Um, so I channel it for like the sake of healing and connection. Outsiders can judge it as exploitation or purely commodification. I think it's deeper than that. And also I don't think something loses value when it's commodified. You see the people, the way people line up when a new iPhone comes out. Okay. It's purely product. They covet it. They want it. They'll wait mm-hmm. hours for it. Because they're excited for it. They value it. They love it. They're excited to share it with the world. They're excited to see how it's going to upgrade their life with better pictures or better podcasting abilities or better communication with their loved ones. So just because something becomes commodified, I don't think it loses any value. I think, in in fact, it can show its value. Um, Which, again, even with the way I run my OnlyFans, and this is why I train other OnlyFans creators, particularly women, is women tend to undersell and underprice. And I don't think that serves anyone. And I charge some of the highest prices for the content in OnlyFans and I get the most buyers, mm-hmm. right? I have a high value on who I am in the work that I do and my fans value who I am in the work that I do and they are willing to pay. And there's no loss of value. And I actually think it communicates value. 
What about the idea of, because I think you're digging into new, the nuance in consumption and what money stands for and how, and how we use it. Because any business person, uh, my wife's a wedding photographer and I, told her, I say the same thing. I'm like, listen, price means quality. Jack, jack it up. And she's like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> yes. I'm like, just go higher. Um, and, but what do, you, what do you make of, is there, an, is there another side of it? Because I see you shading in the, the idea that it's like, well, just because it's a product, it doesn't mean that it is by default bad or by default all of these mm-hmm. things but do you think there is a line that must be tread as far as like the the iphone line it is all these things it's going to make your life better it's going to well it might make your life better i don't know i'm not a spokesperson for apple but <laughs> it it might give you more tools to chat with people it might make you look cooler amongst your friends because you've got the most expensive iphone who know it could it could do a lot of things for you but then if every year that's the thing that you're going to for wholeness and completeness going, my life will be better if this upgrade, my life will be better with more money. Like, do you think there's something to be navigated when something becomes an idol? And I think there is, anything can become an idol. And obviously I think an obvious idol for society is definitely sex as well. It's saying if you're having these sexual relationships, if you sexually look like this, then you will be finally worthy, whole and complete. What do you make of that idea of sex as idol? Yeah, I think anytime we turn something outside of us as a requirement to be whole or to be valued, we've we've misstepped. Right? Nothing outside of you will complete you. Nothing outside of you will make you worthy. That is all inherent to who you are. And that's part of what I do as a life coach is bringing people home to that truth. That you know, you don't need to do or change or become anything to become more loved, more valuable, more worthy. You're loved now. You're valued now. You're worthy now. Then from that place of wholeness and worthiness, we can turn outward and be like, what would I like? Well, would feel supportive, expansive, luxurious, great, amazing. Maybe it's a great sex life. Maybe it's a new iPhone. Maybe it's this. Maybe it's that. Not because we're seeking to be whole or because we feel like we're lacking, but it's an expression of our wholeness. It's an expression of who we are. It's an expression of our values. And that's what I also love about my OnlyFans container is you get all the sexy content, but you also get a real person. I share stuff with them. I don't share anywhere else. They get the inside scoop to my sex life, for example, right? I didn't receive my first orgasm from somebody else until October, right? I was 36 years old when I had my first orgasm from someone else. I bawled my eyes out. It was one of the most healing and holy moments of my life. My fans were the first people to learn about it, right? And so they see this deeper side to like, this is a real person having her own journey. And I think as much as they can idolize me and the work and the content I create, they value me as a whole human. And it's because I bring my whole self to it. I don't uh, fragment myself. I'm like, well, I guess I'm only valuable for my sex stuff. So I'm only going to create sex stuff. I'm like, I'm valuable because I'm messy. I'm valuable because I'm passionate. I'm valuable because I'm ranty. I, all of me is valuable. I bring all of me to the table. And I think it makes it for a whole better and healthier experience. Hmm. You're describing a certain type of connectedness with the people that follow you and engage with you on OnlyFans. Is there, I guess, what's the advantage 
of the what seems to be sexual connection that comes mm-hmm. through OnlyFans. Like you and I are chatting now. What's the difference then if like from you and I just chatting and getting to know each other on this level and then me getting on your OnlyFans and engaging with that side of you? I think one of the main advantages, perks, benefits of it is again, seeing a whole person. And and here's evidence of it. Every single person who's bought video time with me, which you would assume would be for sexy time, has used it for life coaching. They want to know how to start their business. They want to know how to make more money. They want to know how to better pleasure their partner. They want to know how they can leave their faith behind without leaving their family behind. Like they are hungry for depth and they come into the space where there's no taboo. There's no shame. There's nothing off limits. And not saying again, it's boundaryless. It just means you're safe to speak up here. You're safe to show up here. You're safe to be your real self here. And I lead the way by being that doing that. And yes, it has a more sexual nature. And I actually think that's why it's so healing because where else can you go where your sexuality, your self-expression, your body is celebrated, loved, and welcomed versus judged, shamed, shut down, and criticized. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about the way you've navigated sexual ethics, porn ethics, because the porn industry is like one of the most exploitative, harmful, mm-hmm. if we're talking about um, the, the treatment of women, or we're talking about uh, addiction rates, whether it's classed as an addiction slash compulsion, people using it for escape. Friend of the show, uh, Seth, um, is was talking about porn being used as this, like a medication to run, to hide, to like, rather than going in and dealing with it, you got to deal for it. It's like a, a form of medication. You, you just kind of escape. And the, the porn you're describing is one where you've, it sounds like you've drawn some, some strong boundaries and said, this is who I am. Here, here is what is acceptable. And OnlyFans enables you to go to interact with those people and say, I would like to charge this much and you get it. Like OnlyFans takes a chunk but then there's no producer above you. I guess with a lot of problem with the porn industry, they like money brings this complication that says, well, listen, Nicole, if you really want to make money, you've really got to start doing this type of things. You say, listen, I'm not comfortable with that. Sorry, Nicole, if you want the role and you want to keep this career, you know, you've got to kind of do that. I think it's described in the documentary, hot girls wanted a lot. Like the, I guess the dark side of that industry, Mm -hmm. But you're describing a different version or an alternative reality of this industry where um, where some of the elements posed by attaching sex to money and sex to power is kind of negated by the fact that you're the one with the power. You're the one that yep. takes either elects someone to take the photo and you're the one that gets the rights to your photo and then you're the one that sells it. Talk to yes. me about how you've, how you've, I guess, worked to that and where you draw these lines when you look at the whole porn industry in general. Yes, I love this. This is one of the reasons why I love um, platforms like OnlyFans so much. You're in charge, you're the boss, 
you call the shots, you are 100% in control the entire time. And that's what I love about it. I do not do anything. I do not feel as integrity with who I am or what I feel comfortable doing. And my fans know that. They know they can ask me anything. And I they can ask, whether it's personal questions or ask me, hey, would you create this kink or fetish content for me? And there's always room for me to say no. And every single time I've said no to a fan, I'm like, hey, thanks so much for asking me. I don't feel comfortable doing that. Is there something else um, that you're interested in that I can maybe create for you? All of them have always said no problem. I totally respect that. I get that. No problem. Here, here's what else I'm thinking. They've all been 100% supportive of my nose. So again, I love that. And I think too, is like, that's people have asked me, like, are you going to do like hardcore porn? And that's not my thing. Cause I think what my thing is, is intimacy, vulnerability, um, authenticity, anything I create is genuine. I don't fake anything. I don't fake orgasms. I'm like, so like, I am so obsessed with people being authentic, including their sex life and sexual expression that I incorporate that value in my content, which I believe is what makes it even more valuable to my fans because they know when Nicole creates something or she sells something, it's 100% real. And I think that is what is missing in the porn industry is that realness, which is fine. I think performing and faking is fine because it's like an acting career and you pay for what you get, you pay for what you want, do what you want, it's fine. But for me, if I'm gonna create something like that, I want it to be real. I want to like fill this world. What does it look like for a woman to have a real orgasm? For a woman to really feel pleasure and communicate that and not put on a performance because I think performance, especially in relationships, has created distance and uh, disillusionment with sex with partners with romance and i want to be an example of where faking and performing is not required and i will teach girls to become only fans creators you don't have to create any content to make money i had one woman reach out to me she's like well i'm gonna create my only fans account and i'm gonna put pictures of my pussy right away because i know that's what i need to do to make money and i was like whoa whoa whoa, whoa. as soon as you think something is required you've lost the game you've just given your power away you are letting someone outside of you whether it's real or illusion some voice outside of you telling you this and this is required for you to make money and be successful. I know OnlyFans creators who are very modest. They only do very, they do very tasteful, like fine art, nude, implied, nothing explicit. And they make a shit ton of money because again, they know who they are. They know their boundaries. They know their values and they attract fans who respect that and want that kind of content from them. So again, you don't have to do anything you don't want to do. You're 100% in control. And I think it allows you to connect with your fans in a deeper way because of that. Hmm. If, if your product then, at least a, a portion of it, and we can you know determine how large portion of the product that it is that you're putting out there on OnlyFans, whether um, how do you go about when you encounter like feminist ideas that are like the porn industry is harmful and commodification of females form is harmful because it encourages a certain ideal of going women must be beholden to this standard they must look like this they must act like this in bed some people might look at you and say and maybe some women i don't i don't know they might look at you and go nicole you know i like that you enjoy it but when you put this out there, there's this standard of women that says to be a true woman, you have to look like this, act like this in bed, become like this. If you're a woman, you have to look and do your makeup in a certain way. As a, as a male, 
I spent very little time getting ready to today and I got up at 4am. You might be able to tell or not. But how do you, what do you say to those feminist ideas that go, that might say to you something as harsh as you're actually hurting the cause of women because you're, you're putting more unrealistic standards for us to try and live up to and women don't have to be this. They don't have to behave like this sexually. Yes. Um, first, I'd say, oh, my gosh, I totally agree with you. <laughs> and secondly, mm. I'd say this is why you need to follow more women online. And this is why I follow about one new OnlyFans creator every month because I want to see how she does her account and learn from her. Every type of body, every type of kink, every type of fetish, every type of human exists online, whether it's an Instagram model or an OnlyFans creator. And that's what I love. We live in a day and age where having the specific body type or specific look is out the window. Of course, it's still pressure to a certain degree. But when the more I surround myself with OnlyFans creators and models, the more different all of us are. And that's what I love about it, because there is something for everyone and there is someone for everyone. And, you know, and there's a lot of assumptions there in that question you ask or those, mm -hmm. you know, these people think that because mm -hmm. like the number one way I orgasm is on my stomach. There's nothing sexy about it. I'm flat. I'm like all clenched up and tight. Like you can't really see anything, but like my fans love it because it's real. Not because I'm like arched on my back and I'm like screaming. I'm a very quiet comer. Right. So again, I'm not trying to be like anyone else. I'm being my true self or even this idea about makeup. My fans ask mm -hmm. all the time, please give us no, no makeup content. Right. Again, there is this hunger for authenticity and realness. The best content, the best photos that do well, not only on my OnlyFans, but on Instagram are my non-professional shot images. All my selfies mm. do better typically than any of my professional images. Why? Because there's this level of like accessibility, authenticity, like there's a connection with a real human, mm -hmm. not just a glammed up model. Mm -hmm. So I think it's so much deeper if you spend any time in our world, in the world of modeling or in the world of OnlyFans creators, we are of all types, all bodies, all different kinks, all different fetishes, and all of it is loved by all the people because there is someone for all of us. Hmm. There's an audience when, for every single person. You're, yeah, you're describing a, I, I think, a diversity and a market for more expressions and more looks and people are willing to, I guess, engage with that. I think as I try and distill the tensions that people might be feeling as they're listening and trying to like it, we, we're touching on something that I think is, I think it goes, it's a difficult thing to describe. And I think people who come from a conservative worldview, it ends up coming through as a harsh, hardline purity culture. Like I think yeah. mm -hmm. what I find very interesting about the clickbait and I went with it and every news publications kind of went with it as well. It contains this, it, society seems to contain this same religious structure. We spoke about how society has its own standards and its own form of purity culture as well that has, it's, it's liberal up into a point and you've, you're talking about how you encounter those lines quite frequently. But when, when cr the Christian world, that when they get a new believer, it's this, 
it's this, let's hold them up. Yeah, look, we got one. Like, we got another, like, Christian. Like, this is great. And it's highly promoted. It's highly celebrated. And then, like, that level, like, goes to level 10 when you when you nab an atheist, when Christians mm-hmm. convert an atheist. Like, if Richard Dawkins was to ever, like, go, you know what? I think there is a God. Christians would lose their minds. They would be like, yeah, look, we proved it once and for all. Like, and that's what I think I notice almost in the reverse aspect. There's this idea of when the quote-unquote secular world can turn somebody into, I guess, one of us. And it's that same thing, pastor turned stripper. It's like, yeah, we, we got one back. And I feel like there is that kind of highlighting of the religious structure that people might not even notice society operates, operates from. Um, I think it's a false narrative. I'm just like jumping right in. Yeah, yeah, go for it, go for it. And then you can ask your question. I think it's a false dichotomy. Like it's either or, Uh us versus them. I just, I'm so tired of that narrative. I think there, I think when one of us wins, we all win. When Mm -hmm. one of us transforms, we're all transforming with them. Even if they're becoming something we don't want to become, there is something about the courage and the vulnerability to become your truest version when it, especially when it flies against who everyone thinks you should be family, Mm. religion, society, what have you. And so Mm. I think if we can lean away from our tendency to create a, a us versus them mentality and instead lean into like that takes courage and vulnerability, even if I would never become that in a million years, that would bring us progress. That Mm. would bring us healing. That would bring us closer. That would foster curious and deep and kind conversation because I could be like, I would never, ever do that or become that. But the fact that you did that or are doing that, damn, mm. you've got courage. Can you tell me more about that? Or how, mm. how is it? Are you okay? Do you have support in your corner? Like when people are so quick to judge me, which thankfully is the minority, they have no idea, right? What it took to get here. It's the thoughtful people, even people who don't agree with me who say, are you okay? Do you have support? Mm. Do you have people who are holding you up? Because I can only imagine how many people you've lost in your journey. Hmm. And this is coming from someone who has a very different worldview and values than me, but they see my humanity. So Hmm. I think that's our challenge is are we willing and able to see the humanity, especially in those who are doing things we ourselves would never do. A lot of people who are listening can really get on board with that. They can really look at it and go, okay, we seem to dis- we seem to want to place our standards onto other people and go here's how i see the world here's how i operate within the world now you must operate from that same world view and this ultimately leads to it leads to the tribalism and the division within society being like well i believe this is appropriate an appropriate sexual ethic and i believe this is an inappropriate sexual ethic and there is a conversation that needs to happen because there is some level of harmful and things that cause harm to other people that has as a society we must move through and we must um we must ultimately discuss in order to function as a proper society and i and i think as i try and distill that argument if we move beyond the tribalism and that and that divide being like nicole i don't agree with you because you're from that side you're not christian anymore whatever it is if I try and distill the centralized element, my question is, 
is something inherently lost. Like you're talking about the em- emphasizing connection, connecting people, being vulnerable. There's a certain kind of connection that we can have with somebody else when we include all of us. And you're saying including the sexual, including the vulnerable sexual. My question is, is something lost when it's being sold? Is I feel like this is the element that the conservative worldview is really putting forward, probably more coded in judgmentalism. But I feel like they're saying this is sacred and beyond selling. I guess my question is, and it's not just to sex. It's not just to nudity. It's not just to porn. It's does something, is something lost when we try and sell it? Must everything be sold? Oh yeah. And I, I don't think everything has to be sold. I think there's a lot of assumption in there too. Like I think, um, God, you said something earlier and I had, I had a great statement I was going to say to it. <laughs> Let me think if I can recall it. Um, oh, this was in say, I think any activity between consenting adults, like especially sexually, if the adults are consenting in their sexual exploration or act together, it's okay. So it really blows my mind. There's so much heat for someone like me um, who does what I do. And it's all based on consent, right? For me, for the other people involved, um, people are giving consent by subscribing to my page. Like there's so much flack and heat for like, how dare you create content like this? You're harming yada, yada, yada. When Hmm. I actually think it's incredibly healthy and healing because there's no secrecy. What I do is on the open. I don't have a secret identity. I know there's people who do that because they don't want to lose their jobs. They go by a pseudonym. They hide their face. I'm fully out there. I'm fully me, fully real, fully communicative, fully caring, and everything's done consensually. I think there's a lot of healing and health there. And even when I do like my sexy live streams, my fans will ask me questions like, like how to better pleasure their partner or how do they help their partner feel safer to communicate and to open up and like super deep, converse, super deep conversations. So again, ju- I don't think selling content or sex ruins it. I, and I don't even, I don't even view it as selling it. I feel like what you're doing is you're paying for access. And we do this with all the things we pay for access to Netflix. We pay for access to Disney world. We pay for access Mm -hmm. to a neighborhood by paying HOA fees. We are always paying something. And I don't think that's bad. I think it's just part of the world we live in. Money's part of it Mm -hmm. and exchanging of energy for a service or good or product. That's, that's our standard. It is what it is. And here people are paying access to yes, sexy content, but also to an energy, to a community, to a conversation, to an experience. And I feel like what I'm doing is actually doing more healing and more help to the Mm. world and like no harm. Mm. Um, They're just paying for a service or paying for access. And we all do that. And that's another thing. I trust adults to make adult decisions, right? Mm. Some people like, do you care that like men are jerking off to you? And I'm like, why would I care? It's their body. It's their pleasure. It's their dick. Like I don't Mm. control what they do with their body. Like, and I just think it's a natural response. Why would I care? Like, Mm. and so there's some men I'm sure, and people who come on just to get, get off on it. And there's some people who come on to have a connection. Um, I have a couple fans who are suicidal and they're, I'm like the one person they open up to, like, there's a whole range of humans. And I think, my God, who else would this fan talk to if like they weren't here in this container with me. Right. And like giving them resources and, 
the number to the National Suicide Prevention Line. Like I'm doing deep healing work in there because it's a place where, a place where people feel like they can actually be vulnerable with their truth. And it's not just their sexual truth. It's mm. their mental health and well-being. It's their fears. It's mm. their dreams. It's their goals. And it's just the most beautiful space. Mm. I, I like how you keep connecting because our tendency is always to compartmentalize yes. the sexual. It's always to pull it apart. And you keep, I guess you keep pulling back into the conversation being like, well, it is this, but it's also these other yes. elements. And when, you, uh, when you're talking about, it sounds like you identify saying, okay, consent is like where you draw those boundaries. You draw that line around, are you an adult? adult who says it like that are you an adult <laughs> are you consenting and i think that's the crux if if i'm to redistill my idea after listening to you the crux seems to be potentially this consent seems to be something that we believe is simple but perhaps isn't and money seems to be one of those things that complicates this level of consent that says mm. if you are suddenly and this is a difference between and probably i'm coming from an australian worldview here saying if you are like very in a vulnerable position in society and you don't have something like money you sure as an 20 year old i'm an adult i even 30 year old i can consent to something but on some level, if you're vulnerable and the money's the obvious one, if I don't have any money and someone comes to me and says, Conrad, do this, mate, I'll give you a thousand bucks. It becomes complicated because I go, well, I did give my consent, but I was also in a vulnerable position. And is there, mm. is there a position where I wish I was that true consent can come from? And I guess that's what is the complicating element. I keep kind of fixating on around money saying that every like this the saying is everyone has a price and so mm. people i guess the exploitative element within the porn industry is that you take young girls and then ultimately you go here's some money but maybe they're in a vulnerable position maybe they're they're not in a position to give true informed consent and so when it comes to your work if is there a price you know for everything when when everything's for sale then there's, when there's always, when, when something's being sold, there's always a price. And even I, like, I, it's a fun experiment to play on yourself all the time. It's, it's like, how much? How much would you do that for? How much would you do that for? And I guess what OnlyFans does is it brings it right to the forefront. It says, Nicole, I've got X amount. Would you do this? And the question, it might be easy, you know, at a hundred bucks, you're like, listen, no thanks. And someone's like, I've got a mill. I've got a cold million right here. There's always some level of a quote unquote price. I'm so glad you brought this up because this even applies to my work as a life coach. So to work with me for a year, I charge $50,000. To work with me for six months, I charge $30,000. That naturally eliminates most of the human population and, I, and I'm okay with that. The main reason I'm okay with that is because I deliver free coaching content every single day on my Facebook, on my Instagram, on my YouTube channel. I'm sharing content all the time because I know there are people who will never in a million years be able to afford me, but I don't want to leave them behind. I don't want to leave them out. I want to empower them to rise up and become everything they're born to be and make the money of their dreams and do what they came here to do and be who they came here to be. So if they would take all the content I give online for free and integrated it and applied it to their lives, 
their life will transform. Right. And then, and that's why I also offer offers between like $50 and $2,000 are like my one-time trainings and my digital courses online. And then I have my premium one-on-one packages and prices. I have something for everyone because that's who I am. That's Nicole Mitchell. Nicole Mitchell cares for everyone, doesn't want a single person left behind. And this is why even on my OnlyFans, you obviously have to have enough to sub to my account every month, which right now is $15 a month. Um, but I post free content every day. And then I also offer additional content for purchase on top of that. Why? Because I want to make sure people are getting their value for their subscription amount. But there's also people who want as much content as I can create. So I create something for everyone. And so for me, I deeply believe in the value of win-win situations. And my entire business model for life coaching, for OnlyFans, for everything I do is how can I create a win-win here for everyone? And I feel like what I do is an example of that. And I love it. So you don't believe that there's some level of limitation to human transaction, to hu- to human connection when it becomes transaction. So if someone's engaging with you, like they might come to you and you're saying, listen, I can help you make money. I can help you strive. I can help you achieve your goals. But isn't that someone just coming to you going, you can make me whole and complete. Here is my money. And then mm-hmm. th- that's the level they engage with you on. And is that truly the human connection that we're talking about? Yeah, I don't think people are paying me to make them whole and complete. That's how some people can view it. I think that's how people some people judge life coaches. Like, oh, you're, you're making them pay you because they need you. No one needs me. And I tell people who apply this to me, and, and I'm saying it here for everyone, you don't need a life coach to live the life of your dreams. The only thing I do as a life coach is help get you there faster. You're going to get there anyway. You're that powerful. You're that capable. You're that brilliant. You're going to make it. If you want to speed up the process, if you want to get there, if you want to quantum leap there, if you want to take the elevator to the top rather than take the stairs, I'm your girl. And it's not pain for wholeness. It's actually pain for someone to reflect back to your wholeness because a lot of us live in a sense of, I don't feel worthy. I feel like I'm lacking. I feel like a fraud. And when you have a rock solid coach in your corner who says, "Uh uh-uh, that's not the you I know you to be, who the fuck are you? And they're like, okay. I'm a badass. I'm a champion. I'm a winner. I'm a conqueror. Like I will have it all. Like, and you have someone infusing you, not only like this belief, but universal law and tools to help you emerge as a truest version of you. Cause you're already whole. You're already complete. That's when you become unstoppable because so for so many of us, when we don't have that one person in our corner, we're always looking around whether we admit it or not, whether we're aware of it or not, seeing what people think of us. And it's not the voices of our haters that do the most damage. It's the quiet concern of those who love us the most. Those tend to be the people who have the biggest impact and hold us back the most. So when you pay for someone to be this anchor and has the experience and knowledge and tools to get you where you want to go, it will change your life. And I love it. And I think that transaction doesn't replace connection. It doesn't re- replace community. Some of my clients come go on to become one of my clo- some of my closest friends. Um, we've gone on trips together. It creates a whole new experience for themselves and for us collectively. Nicole, thanks so much. We've gone we've gone a bit over time. Thanks so much for taking so much time to talk to me about your journey. 
where you come from, your thoughts and things like that. If people are wanting to get in contact with you, what's the best way to see what you're up to and to get in touch? Yes, I'm the most active on Instagram and Facebook. So definitely follow me there. I'm also on Twitter. Um, I'm on OnlyFans. Obviously, I have a YouTube. I have a website. So if you want to find all those things, you can go to NicoleMitchell.com. Nicole is spelled with a K N I K O L E, Mitchell, M I T C H E L L.com. I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, come say hi. I love meeting new people. I love giving people permission to be their truest selves by being my truest self. Conrad, thank you so much for having me, for having this kind of conversation, not just with me, but all your different guests. You're doing such beautiful healing work in the world. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. If you're still listening to this and you're an hour 15 in and you're like, listen, I agree with nothing of that. I don't know what the hell she's talking about. And I strongly disagree. Then send me a DM. Tell me what you thought. Because if you made it to this part, I'm going to give you a little emoji medal. Because if you disagreed and made it this far... You, my friend, are the true heart of Ideas Digest. We don't have to agree. Can we understand? That's the point. That's the purpose. Come see me for your free gold emoji medal. I've found the icon. It's flipping great. Um, And if you want to get in contact with me, Ideas Digest, reach out, show guests, who should I talk to? Who, who, what, what's a great idea that we need to explore? Emails, ideasdigest at gmail.com. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks so much to Nicole and all future guests. You know, I just I just thanked future guests. So so I, I don't need to say thank so you. Much. I don't need to say thank you to anybody else. But thanks for listening. I'll, I'll <laughs> catch you in the next episode.